You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. It's Dallas week, kids, and I know that with these two teams playing some trash can football right now, that it doesn't exactly have the luster of previous matchups, but... Anytime your birds get together with the hated Dallas Cowboys and it's on Sunday night football, it's must-see TV. So uh, we're going to get you all set up for this appointment viewing on Sunday night between the Eagles and the Birds and a battle of first place between the 2-4-1 and one Philadelphia Eagles and the 2-5 and five Dallas Cowboys in what is most certainly a dumpster fire of a division. One of these teams is probably going to win this thing. You know what? It might, you know, it could be any one of the four crappy teams in the NFC East. And right now, your Philadelphia Eagles are likely the favorites to win this division. Frankly, if they don't win this division, people are going to get fired because that's how wide open this thing is. And we're going to talk about the game coming up here on Sunday night with blogging the boys, RJ Ochoa. Fantastic. One of my favorite guests here on Eye on the Enemy, and you hear him on the SB Nation NFL show every week as well. If you are not listening to that show, by the way, you should be because it's a fantastic NFL show. And check out all the work they do over at bloggingtheboys.com. Yeah, I know it's got lots of pictures of Cowboys on it. You're going to have to read a lot of Cowboys stuff, but that's what this that's what this podcast is all about, keeping an eye on the enemy for you. So we're going to talk to RJ coming up here in just a few minutes, and I'll give you my prediction on who wins on Sunday night. But before I get into all that, I've been watching this football team since the mid-80s, guys. I've been watching this football team since the Marion Campbell uh, coaching days, okay? So, I mean, I've seen a lot of Dallas Cowboys-Philadelphia Eagles games, and, and this is a great rivalry, even though the Dallas Cowboys haven't won anything since the mid-90s. I mean, DVDs weren't around yet. Okay, we were still we were still videotaping television shows the last time the Dallas Cowboys won a Super Bowl, and they obviously are going in the wrong direction. And I think the Philadelphia Eagles are going in the opposite direction. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that coming up here at the end of the podcast, but there have been so many great Eagles-Cowboys games, and a lot of them have gone the Eagles' way here over the last three decades or so, and so everybody's got their favorites. Everybody has a couple that they like more than others. And there have been some great ones. Obviously, the, the, the clinching game at the end of 2008 that finished off a, a miracle Sunday and helped the, the Eagles get to the postseason and took them all the way to the NFC Championship game. A game they probably, you know, a, a postseason run they probably didn't deserve to make as the number six seed. They, uh, they, they won, they got there thanks to that uh, demolition of the Cowboys that night. Uh, there have been 
what was it, the, the 10 sack game in 1991, the season Randall got hurt, where they obliterated Troy Aikman. Uh, there have been, uh, there was the game last year, for crying out loud, when uh, in a battle for the division title, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, pulled away and uh, in a defensive struggle managed to, to, to beat the Cowboys. There have been so many great Eagles-Cowboys games over the years, and there have been a lot of games where the Cowboys got the better of the Eagles, but everybody's got their favorites. Everybody has the games that they remember the most fondly, and for me, there are three, and they all took place in the 1990s. Now, this is when I was a, a you know, in the first game I'm going to talk about is when I was a senior in high school. We're going to take these chronologically, and we're going to start off with the Monday Night Football game in 1992, and I wasn't a senior in high school in this, well, was I? Yeah, this is not. This is the fall of '92, so no, I was a junior in high school when this game was played, and this is the year Jerome Brown died. So they were uh, they were trying to win it for Jerome. Randall Cunningham had come back from his reconstructive knee surgery from 1991. The Eagles still had a phenomenal defense with Reggie White, Clyde Simmons, Byron Evans, Seth Joyner, Eric Allen. All those guys were still playing at the Vet Stadium turf. They were still. They were still destroying people on the field, and 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 this was a game in which the Eagles came in at three and zero. The Cowboys also came into the game at three and zero, and it was a this was a a much hyped battle. I remember specifically uh, getting I, this is when I had a Sports Illustrated subscription, and they almost never were able to get a cover out from a Monday Night Football game result. They they never had because it would come to your doorstep on Wednesday or Thursday. Usually, I believe it would come to your doorstep on Wednesday, and so that gave them like basically a forty eight hour turnaround if they wanted to try and get you the results of a Monday Night Football game. But this game was so huge. This was such a a monstrously big football game that Sports Illustrated actually had ran. Cunningham on the cover the first time I can ever remember that happening because this game was so huge and it was a game that the Eagles thoroughly dominated Dallas the Dallas Cowboys Troy Aikman Emmett Smith all those guys 31 to 7 Rich Kotite had their number that day the Eagles had a took a, twi- a quick 10-7 lead thanks to a Randall Cunningham two-yard run but the Eagles were put into great field position due to a Troy Aikman interception, uh, and they got a uh, Roger Ruzek field goal to take, give them a just a three-point lead heading into the half, but it was all Eagles in the second half. They scored a touchdown in the third quarter. Herschel Walker, who was a big free agent acquisition that offseason, with a nine-yard run to make it 17-7. to He added a 16-yard run in the fourth quarter to make it 24-7, to and it was party time after that. Keith Byers added a 12-yard run to make it a 31-7 to final, and this was a moment when you felt like this was a Super Bowl contender. You felt like this Philadelphia Eagles team was head and shoulders better than the Dallas Cowboys, that this was a team that was just going to run roughshod over the rest of the NFC. They were they were going to the Super Bowl. We had Super Bowl vision in our eyes. We, had, we, 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 we could see it coming. And it was they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated because this was such a huge game. Everybody was talking about this team being the best team in the NFL. And then they went on a two-game losing streak. They actually really struggled in the middle of the 92 season. I remember going into Kansas City. They played a real tough Chiefs team. They got destroyed with play-action passes, and they still managed to make it somewhat close, but the Chiefs won. Um, and then and then it started a, it started a losing streak for, that, for, the, for the Eagles, and they, they never really got back on track fully. They ended up winning the wild card. The Dallas Cowboys would destroy them in Dallas. They returned the favor later on in the season uh, to even the season series at 1-1, one and, one, and the Eagles would go on to beat the New Orleans Saints in the wild card round to face the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas again in the divisional round and Dallas once again kicked their butts late in the 92 season 
And uh, the Eagles would go on to uh, watch the Cowboys win the first of what would become three Super Bowl titles. So uh, obviously that Monday night football game didn't carry over towards the end of the season. It almost felt like the Eagles got up so much for that Cowboys game that they didn't have anything left for the middle of the season before finally figuring things out and writing the ship. But that game, watching that game, that was the first time in, in my Eagles fandom that I really felt like, we had a Super Bowl team on our hands. This team was going to the Super Bowl, and it felt so good. It was such a fun game to watch. That 31-7 Monday night blowout of the Cowboys, that was a seminal moment in my Eagles fandom uh, as, as a young fan. The, the second one, and these last two come in the Ray Rhodes era, and I sent out a tweet about this earlier this week because I love the Ray Rhodes era. I know it didn't go successfully, and it was the right decision to move on from Ray Rhodes, and uh, obviously the Eagles made the right choice in, in hiring Andy Reid when they decided to move on from Ray, but I, I loved when Ray was here. He celebrated his 70th birthday this week. The Eagles put out a tweet, and it made me smile, because I always loved Ray Rhodes. I love the intensity. I love the passion that he brought. He got a collection of guys off the street in 1995 and got them and somehow got them to the playoffs. He got them to destroy the Detroit Lions 58 to 37 in the wild card round. A game the Eagles were, were were underdogs playing at home to a Detroit Lions team that was doing the run and shoot at the time and Scott Mitchell was on fire. He had Herman Moore and a bunch of other phenomenal wide receivers, Barry Sanders at the height of his powers. They coming into Philadelphia thinking they were just going to run right over the Eagles and the Eagles destroyed them. Remember there was a Hail Mary to Rob Carpenter just before the end of the half. I think made it 38 to 7 at halftime. I was at that game against the Lions at Veterans Stadium, and it was an absolute, bon it, was, it was a bonkers party going on at Veterans Stadium that night. So obviously, that was, I, I love that season. And, and yes, again, after that game, the Eagles went to Dallas and were blown out by the Dallas Cowboys. But I submit that if Rodney Pete hadn't gotten hurt in the, I think it was early in the second quarter of that game, the Eagles would have had a fighting chance. But once Rodney Pete went out, Randall Cunningham had to come in and play, and Randall had left the team that week to be with the birth of his child, which, you know, in retrospect, as a, as a dad, I'm more okay with now than I was at the time, but... It, it essentially sunk the Eagles' chances of winning that divisional round game against a, a Cowboys team that would again go on to win uh, their third Super Bowl in four years. But obviously in 95, we remember the fourth and one game. We remember Barry Switzer and his arrogance, thinking that they could beat a pretty good Eagles defense by running the same play from their, what was it, their own 29-yard line, a fourth and one running Emmett Smith, Emmett Smith left. Uh, just just as the two minute warning hit, and, and you guys all know you, you guys all know the story. I don't have to I don't have to gild the lily for you here very much, but you know as, as the two minute as the clock is ticking down to the two minute warning, the Cowboys line up on their own twenty nine with the game tied seventeen in a frigid on a frigid day at Veterans Stadium, and they they inexplicably go for it. And don't get it. Now, you do wonder, like, in today's NFL, the, do the analytics say from that spot in the field that you should go for it at that point, especially if you've got the best offensive line in football and you've got Emmett Smith there? I can't imagine that even today's analytics would say, yeah, Barry, go for it. I'm just not buying that. And they didn't get it, but they were bailed out because the referees blew the whistle with the two-minute warning having come just before the ball was snapped. And what do they do? After having a few minutes to think about it and to reconsider their options— they go for it again. Barry Switzer at the height of arrogance. The, the, I mean, this was, this was Barry Switzer 
making one of the the biggest boneheaded disastrous moves in team history, deciding to go for it again, running the same exact dadgum play, and not getting it again. And I, I just, I was watching that game. I was in college. I don't remember if it was my sophomore or this is my sophomore season my sophomore season my sophomore year in college I didn't play in college uh, my sophomore year in college I remember watching this game in uh, one of our one of our main viewing halls and there were a couple of obnoxious Cowboys fans and all, all Cowboys fans are obnoxious let's not get there were a couple of obnoxious Cowboys fans watching it and the Cowboys got up big in the first half I think they got up 17 nothing and the Eagles fought their way back to tie it at 17 in the second half Ricky Waters had a big game and, and they fought they, they were just they were so they were talking a lot in the first half and they were real quiet in the second half and I just remember when they stopped them on fourth and one going ballistic absolutely losing my mind running around like a crazy person in this common area screaming my head off as the Eagles stopped Emmett Smith for the second straight play and Barry Switzer's reasoning after the game sorry it just didn't hold up he said if we kick into the wind they're going to come back and kick a field goal if we would have had the wind we would have kicked the football that wasn't the difference the way we played for 30 minutes in the second half was the difference and Deion Sanders later said, if you can't gain an inch, you deserve to lose. I think we played well. We just didn't get the job done again. No, 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 no. Kick the ball away. And, and if you haven't seen, I mean, obviously Merrill Reese's call is legendary. But if you haven't seen Pat Summerall and John Madden calling the game, go look it up on YouTube. John Madden is apoplectic. He's beside himself. He can't believe it. It's it's as harsh as I've ever heard him criticize another coach or another team. It was beautiful. It was just a great game in that Ray Rhodes era. And of course, the Cowboys would get the last laugh as they as they often did in the early to mid 1990s. But again, this is this is the last season the the Cowboys would win the Super Bowl. This 1995 season, the Ray Rhodes era is the last time the Dallas Cowboys won a Super Bowl. And my last pick, and again, this is this came the following year, and I remember watching this game in my dorm room, and I had yet another obnoxious Cowboys fan, Aaron Marvel, I love you, um, watching this game, and all my, all my hallmates hated the Eagles. They were all either Steelers fans or Cowboys fans or Dolphins fans or whatever. I mean, I, grew to, I went to school in central Pennsylvania, and I could understand being a Steelers fan in that part of the state, but... Some of the other teams, I just I couldn't understand. There was just an there was a an irrational hatred of the Eagles, given given where we were in the central part of the state, a central part of Pennsylvania, and so it was. I was battling I was battling Eagles haters for my entire four years there. All the people that I lived with, and so anytime the Eagles could shove it in the Dallas, in the Dallas Cowboys face was was always. It was always meaningful, and so that's why some of these games have more meaning to me, I think, than some other ones that happened uh, more recently as I'm grown up, and, you know, sports loses a little bit of its luster than when you're in high school and college, and it's really the one of the few things you, you really still get obsessed about, and this is the game in Dallas. A 31 to 21 win early in the 96 season. The Eagles are holding a very slim 24 to 21 lead, but the Cowboys are coming back here in the fourth quarter and they are driving the ball. This is in uh, this is in early November, so we're we're coming up on the anniversary of this game actually as we're recording this podcast. And again, this is this is a team the Cowboys had had the Eagles uh, the Eagles number most of the time. A few a few pop up of success here and there. The Cowboys had the Eagles number. 
and the Cowboys are driving, and it looks for all the world like they're at least going to kick a game-tying field goal in the waning seconds of the fourth quarter. But Troy Aikman did something monumentally stupid. He tries to find uh, he tries to find a receiver in the end zone. I don't even remember who he was trying to find, but he got hit as he was uh, as he was throwing, and the ball is intercepted by James Willis in the end zone. James Willis starts running the ball out of the end zone and then inexplicably at like the 15 or 20 yard line laterals the ball to Troy Aikman and Troy Aikman then weaves through the defense and scores and scores the game winning touchdown running all the way downfield in the in the game's final seconds for the 31 to 21 victory and again I'm going nuts. I'm absolutely going nuts and I just couldn't you know, this was the high point of the Ray Rhodes era. From from this point on Things went south for the Philadelphia Eagles because this moved the Eagles to seven and two in first place in the NFC East. The Cowboys dropped to five and four. And so this was the Eagles now had a two game lead in the NFC East over the Dallas Cowboys. This really felt like at this point you felt like Ray Rhodes was a genius. I mean, it really did. You 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 didn't you felt like Ray Rhodes at this point was 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 gonna just run the table. <laughs> you know, this is not the kind of game the Eagles won in Dallas. And remember all these divisional losses and uh, these late season losses that the Eagles had had in Dallas. Uh, this looked like it was gonna be another nightmare finish, but instead the Eagles managed to pull it out. Unfortunately, it felt like the at that point the Eagles had had essentially spent their powder. They would go on a three-game losing streak, losing to the Bills and the and the Washington football team, both at home following this game. Then they would go into Arizona and lose. I remember this game. It was a crusher of a game to Boomer Esiason and the Cardinals, 36-30, to a game the Eagles just could not get control over. They beat the Giants the following week. Then they'd uh, lose to the Colts. They'd win their last two. So they finished in second place in the NFC East with a 10-6 and record that season. But once again... The Dallas Cowboys came back to win that division with a 10-6 and record. The Cowboys held the tiebreaker, and the Eagles would go into San Francisco, play in the wildcard round, and lose a 14-0 game in the fog in one of the least memorable playoff games in Philadelphia Eagles history. But uh, those three games, those are my three favorite Eagles-Cowboys games of all time, and two of them took place in the Ray Rhodes era, and I thought they were worth mentioning as good old Ray celebrated his 70th birthday this week. Loved the, I, I did. I enjoyed the Ray Rhodes era probably more than I should have uh, simply because of those two games against the Dallas Cowboys and, of course, that uh, playoff win against the Detroit Lions in the wild card round. All right, enough reminiscing. We're going to talk to R.J. Ochoa of Blogging the Boys coming up next, and he's going to give us the inside scoop on what has turned into, into a disastrous season for our friends down in Dallas. And we'll talk to him coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
And joining me to break down Sunday night's game against the Dallas Cowboys is uh, one of the good guys, one of the good Dallas Cowboys fans out there. You know, there are some, of course, out there lurking. Uh, one of the guys that uh, you love reading at bloggingtheboys.com, and you hear him. If you're not listening, if you're not subscribing, if you're not downloading the SB Nation NFL show, you should be because you'll hear this man on there every week with some of our own BGN folks, Michael Kist and Brandon Lee Gowton. Of course, we're talking about the great RJ Ochoa. RJ, thanks for coming back on I on the enemy how are you man i'm doing well john appreciate the intro um please don't tell kissed or, or blg but my favorite uh bgn cohort is uh is the great john uh so um I'm, nice. I'm, it's always a pleasure to join you and um you know especially under the bright circumstances of the 2020 season yeah, see, normally we are at loggerheads as uh, Eagles and Cowboys fans, but I think we can both empathize with each other just a little bit this year because uh, all of us have, the season has not gone the way any of us had expected it to go. And uh, the Cowboys come into this game at 2-5. and five. The Eagles are leading the division at 2-4-1. and one. You've got uh, the WFT also at 2-5 and five and the Giants at 1-6. and six. I mean, it is, one of these teams is going to the playoffs. One of these teams is going to host a playoff game. They're going to fall down the cliff and somehow land on a mattress and and go to the playoffs and of course uh, the Dallas Cowboys and Cowboys fans like yourself are obviously hurting from getting kicked in the teeth last week by Washington same thing happened to the Eagles that blown 17 nothing lead to Washington in the beginning of the season week one uh, so we can both relate to that but despite all that's going on with with Dallas and there's been lots of injuries and of course a lot of underperformance and and obviously a very disappointing record Stephen Jones says that he still has confidence and still likes his guys. Your thoughts? Um, well, I I maintain that uh, the fact that Stephen and Jerry uh, do a number of weekly radio appearances only adds to the circus, um, <laughs> and uh, and th- this is part of the reason why. But um, you know, I mean, what, what's Stephen going to say? That's you know, ultimately, that's the conversation we have with a lot of people. Uh, but but it is frustrating. Uh, there is a, a particular line he uses a lot when when asked about um, roster building, free agency, things like that. Uh, he says we like our guys. We like the guys we have. And it's it's you know are you sure uh, you know <laughs> um, and and you know when you're winning, I think anything you say is is gold, right? And mm-hmm. like when when you're winning, if Mike Nolan gets Tabasco sauce on his eye, it's hilarious, you know. <laughs> um, but but right now, I mean, it's it's chaos and it's anarchy. And I I know that this might sound strange or rare, but it does feel like the fan base has more than ever turned on the Joneses specifically. I, I know uh, you guys have talked about how, you know, Cowboys fans thought getting rid of Jason Garrett was just going to be this magical elixir. And I do think that Jason Garrett was sort of a, a security net of sorts from an excuse perspective. He, he was always the, the direction that people directed um, their, their hate or their criticism towards. And that's gone now. And um, the lack of preparation, I think, falls on the Joneses and, and, People are, I mean, again, in my time covering this team, the most hours they have been at that family uh, in particular. Well, I mean, yeah, the expectations were high for Dallas. You had a lot of people before the start of the season, myself included, talking about this team as a potential Super Bowl contender. And we, we had an idea that the defense might not be great this year, but I don't think anyone thought it would be catastrophic. Everybody thought that, yes, the offense was going to have to carry this team. And w- without Dak Prescott now a quarterback, and you've got 
you've got injuries all across the offensive line that obviously, those are obviously huge headwinds to have to deal with. And, you know, as Eagles fans, we can relate. The offensive line for Philadelphia has been a mass unit most of the season. The Eagles still, of course, however, do have Carson Wentz. But with the Cowboys... You know, the offensive line, the trenches are are usually the most important part of a team. Of course, the quarterback is often seen as the most important part of a team. So given the offense's struggles since Dak Prescott went down and since these offensive linemen went down, I guess I wanted your thoughts as to what you thought was the bigger deal right now, the offensive line injuries or Dak Prescott going down for the season? I think I know the answer, but uh, what do you think has been more damaging to the Cowboys' offense right now? In a vacuum, certainly, I think Dak is the biggest loss. He's the best player on the team, and and you know that's that's an argument we still have to have with a lot of the Cowboys fans, unfortunately. Um, but you know, of the names you mentioned along the offensive line, Travis Frederick. You know, uh, when Mike McCarthy took the job, Travis Frederick was the team starting center, and so Connor Williams, the Cowboys starting left guard, uh, who they took in the second round in 2018. Uh, was by far their worst offensive lineman last year. He never really reached the status that the Tyron and Travis and Zach and even Lyle Collins have from, from a notoriety standpoint. And he's he's all that's left. It's you know it's Connor Williams and some dudes. And um, you know Dak Prescott can can kind of make that work. You know Dak mm-hmm. Prescott has enough skill to to at least have a fighting chance against that as difficult as it may be. But yeah, that has really plagued things. And I think that that is in a way sort of shaken the team from a foundational standpoint because. That's that's been you know for a long time, right? I mean, five years is forever in the NFL. Yeah. That's who the Cowboys are, right? They they run the ball. Their offensive line is so good. And and now you know when that's broken, even without Dak Prescott, it's well Zeke Elliott is washed. You know they can't do anything. And so all of this criticism lands because of that particular issue. Um, and and it's tough and it's it's frustrating. And I, I think in a bit of an oxymoron sort of way, Cowboys fans and Eagles fans maybe think you know more highly of, of the opposite team than the team's own fan base does. Because, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, the Eagles are down to what, just Carson Wentz and Jason Kelsey. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the fact that they battled back against Baltimore, I mean, the fact that they beat New York, and, and I know that the Giants are hardly, uh, you know, a giant in, in terms of competition. But, yeah. I mean, that, that's something the Cowboys are incapable of doing. You know, I, I really am always impressed by Doug Peterson because I think that Doug Peterson could handle this, at least handle it better than the Cowboys have. Well, let's talk about the coaching staff, because obviously some players or at least one player came out anonymously and talked to the media and was highly critical of Mike Nolan, the defensive coordinator, and Mike McCarthy, but just basically saying these guys are not, they're incompetent. They're, they're, they're not getting us ready to play. There's there's no changes. There's no corrections being made in game. And that's a, that is a damning thing to have come from out from inside the locker room. And uh, obviously, again, we knew the defense would be an issue. We didn't know that it would be this big an issue. What's been the bigger problem? Has it been the coaching or has it been the players? The fact that, you know, players that were signed uh, in the offseason to perform and uh, guys that you were counting on to to do a job haven't haven't been doing the job. Yeah. And I think it's, um, you know, in in varsity blues terms, that this is a team really absent of any fight, uh, of any will, uh, of any sort of self-pride. Um, and I, I think on, on paper, they have talent, right? I, yeah. I think Demarcus Lawrence is, is certainly the most talented defensive player they have. Uh, but, but I think they're massively overrated in other capacities. I remember before the season started, Pro Football Focus had the, the Cowboys linebacker group as the second, you know, best graded linebacker group in the NFL. And, and a lot of, you know, I wrote about that at BTB and the comment section was just, I mean, it was hysterical. It was people saying, are, are you sure? Um, and, you know, Mike Nolan is kind of the coaching side of things, the, the face of, of this dysfunction, but Jalen Smith is, is the player portion of it. 
Um, and I think that that kind of exemplifies how people feel about the Cowboys is, is that Jalen is this guy who is really focused on his own brand, which, which is really in, in lockstep thinking with the Dallas Cowboys way. Um, that he's this big name, you know, high pedigree, incredible story. And the fact that, you know, you and I can even sit here and criticize Jalen's NFL abilities is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he's not, not good. And he's, he's somebody, you know, the Cowboys cater to players. They, um, you know, they coddle players a lot of times. Uh, Jalen, you know, reportedly had issues with last year's coaching staff. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's, he's always kind of, you know, J- Jalen's the only player I've ever heard in a press conference when he, his contract extension was announced. He, he said he was going to eventually be a, a team captain for the Dallas Cowboys. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the guy values having the C on his jersey mm-hmm. in a material way. Um, and so I, I think that those are the problems. And I think that this is a group that does not respond well to adversity. And they've had some, some misfortune in terms of the offense turning the ball over early in games where they get down and, and they get beaten and, um, you know, they get pushed around. And this is a group that, you know, people talk about a country club atmosphere with the Cowboys. When they get pushed around, they pick up their ball, they go home because they don't want to do that dirty work. Well, and this is a continuing problem for the Cowboys. I mean, this happened last year as well, didn't it? I mean, uh, one of the criticisms of the Cowboys as they struggled down the stretch and allowed the Eagles to overtake them was there seemed to be a lack of team chemistry or there seemed to be a lack of fight among some of the Dallas players. And uh, that seems to have carried over into this year, hasn't it? No, it certainly does. And that's why... Um, that's why I'm not out on Mike McCarthy personally. There, there are definitely people who want to see, you know, sort of a one and done type year. Um, I mean, to the point we made, I mean, the, the, the offensive line that, that he you know, planned on has been decimated and, and yeah. he's obviously battling the uniqueness of the season amid COVID. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the common denominator here is the players and, you know, to, to, to the point of, of defending the players, I suppose they have bounced back at times last year. As an example, they had just lost three games in a row. They beat, they lost the New York Jets very embarrassingly, and then they came out and beat the Eagles on right. Sunday Night Football in, in a big time sort of fashion. And that that gear is absent. And and there, I think there was something. I know you and I have talked about how the players kind of refused to quit on Jason yeah. Garrett for a long time until they finally did. Um, but I, I think that that's just that that message has worn thin. I, I think a lot of these guys have gotten second contracts or they're rookies mm-hmm. who don't know better. I mean, you know. I, I do think highly of Demarcus Lawrence from a talent perspective, but but this year the, the best defensive player on the Cowboys is a guy in Alden Smith who you know was sleeping in his car and hadn't mm-hmm. played football in five years. And as as remarkable as that is, it's it's quite an indictment on the rest of the. And, and they're really missing their star cornerback Byron Jones, who left via free agency. I don't think Dallas had any idea that they would miss him as much as they have. I mean, of course, they they had to know losing a player of that stature was going to hurt them. But uh, I think his play on the field and his his leadership, missing that from the locker room has has been a big deal. Uh, but I mean, we're, Dallas made a bunch of moves in the off season to try and strengthen the defense, and they've all blown up on their faces. I mean, they they've traded. Everson Griffin, and that was a that was a highly celebrated move late in the offseason, bringing Gif- uh, bringing Griffin aboard. But uh, they've released Dontari Poe, def- their defensive tackle, and cornerback Daryl Worley, who were both signed in the offseason. They tried to trade them, but couldn't get anything back in return. Um, Gerald McCoy went down with an injury. Haha, Clinton Dix was cut before the season. So th- this is the, the the Cowboys went and tried to make some some moves in free agency this offseason, and none of them worked out. And now they're just selling guys and dumping guys. And I guess the the obvious question is: Are the Cowboys conducting a fire sale? Are they looking to to, to burn it all down right now? 
Uh, I, I certainly think it is, um, but you know, they obviously moved Everson Griffin through the Cowboys signed during training camp, uh, which mm-hmm. was a big story. Um, Don Taripo and Daryl Worley were part of this year's free agent additions. Um, and, and I think that that really highlights how porous their free agency moves have been. They, they haven't been big buyers really uh, since Brandon Carr, who ironically they brought back this year. And uh, a report came out this week that he, you know, uh, had, um, I didn't jive was the report with yeah. the Cowboys defensive backs coach, Maurice Linguist. And so, um, but ever since the Brandon Carr contract in 2012, the Cowboys have refused to spend big. And so they go for these bargain level, you know, moves like Everson Griffin, like Don Tari Poe. And those things can work out, you know, and they have worked out certainly for, for lots yeah. of teams across the NFL. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're just selling, you know, their, their least favorite toys. You know what I mean? Like, it, <laughs> and I, I would, I would respect the philosophy a little bit more if, you know, because I, I think this is a bit of a purging sort of process and, and to go through that, it has to be painful and uh, you have to be willing to, to part with things that you thought were valuable. And, it, and you know, no, nobody's getting fooled. Nobody's, you know, nobody's yeah. really jumping at the thought of Daryl Worley right now. Yeah. Um, but but that's that's kind of the Cowboys problem from a grander perspective. Well, and, and kind of keeping with the trade deadline conversation, the trade deadline is next Tuesday. And if the Cowboys do have any illusions of going to the playoffs, if they do think that in this weak division they can they can make a run and they have enough talent on offense if they have a stable quarterback situation to do that, there's been some rumors out there. There have been some reports that the Cowboys are considering adding a quarterback in, in a trade, potentially a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, who um, you know is, uh, is, is certainly out there and, and available in a deal at some somewhere uh, from the Miami Dolphins. Looks like they're going with Tua at this point. So uh, even though the Cowboys are selling off some defensive pieces, um, do you think that they could be looking to buy and and trade for a, a quarterback to help stabilize the offense? I honestly don't. I certainly understand the connecting of those dots. But, um, you know, the, the Twitter way of putting this is, is Team Tank. Um, you know, obviously the Cowboys prospects this season are, are rather shot. Um, you know, they obviously could win the NFC East, but I, I would hardly qualify losing to the Saints in the wild card round as, as some sort of prize for them. Yeah. Um, and so I, at this point, if I'm the Cowboys, I'm, I'm all about hoarding as, as much draft capital as I can. And, and I certainly don't want to, you know, lose any of that uh, for, for a bridge type situation. As much as I think Ryan Fitzpatrick might have success or at least make the Cowboys more entertaining. You know, the other thing is like, it, it, you know, my, where I, my brain goes is hypothetically, if, if Ryan Fitzpatrick were traded for, if he played moderately well, if the Cowboys won the NFC East, the conversation when it came to Dak Prescott's contract would just be obnoxious. And, and so um, at this point, the Cowboys have stepped in a lot of things and, and it, it does feel like their time for atonement um, is here. And, and I think that that has been somewhat realized um, as they navigate their way through the pain that is the rest of the season. Well, let's talk about the Cowboys' third-string quarterback real quick. Uh, Eagles fans don't know much about Ben DiNucci, uh, but he went to James Madison University, was more of a running quarterback there. Uh, so if he if he does get the start on Sunday on Sunday night against uh, against the Eagles, he could be uh, running around quite a bit. Um, I don't know that the Eagles necessarily decide to change from uh, man-to-man to zone or if they're going to change their defensive scheme to to keep an eye on him in the backfield. But uh, just give us a little bit of a scouting report. What scouting report? What can Eagles fans expe- expect to see from uh, Danucci if he does play on Sunday night? I think at the time, at least, considering his NFL experience or lack thereof, he's he's an extension of the the team's offensive line, and that you know you can't expect a whole lot. 
Um, he, he has a history with Mike McCarthy specifically, which is sort of how he ended up on the Cowboys. Uh, had an event at, uh, at the Star, uh, at the Ford Center, um, the, the Cowboys uh, field that they have there, mm-hmm. um, and introduced himself to Mike McCarthy in the hotel of the Omni, where the Cowboys actually held their own bubble a few months ago. Um, I believe that in middle school, uh, ben DiNucci is from the Pennsylvania area, uh, incidentally. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, he introduced himself, or excuse me, he was coached, I believe, in middle school by Mike McCarthy's brother. I could be botching some of those oh, okay. details, but but there is a, a mild connection there, which is why networking, he, um, he, networking yeah, exactly. works, RJ. Um, and so um, he is he has affectionately been nicknamed the Nooch uh, by uh, by one of our uh, podcasts, uh, actually, over at Blog of the Boys. Um, and you know, I I know um, it, the logical assumption is that he would start. I. You know, if, if Andy Dalton were not to start, I'm still not sold that it would be Ben DiNucci. The Cowboys do have Garrett Gilbert, uh, who they poached off of the Browns practice squad as soon as Dak Prescott got hurt. I, I, I do wonder if Mike McCarthy might lean towards a veteran, you know, um, just as, as literally as Garrett Gilbert is a veteran. Um, Garrett obviously has some uh, familiarity with the Dallas area with his time in high school and, and at SMU. So, um, you know, it's a coin flip. But e- either way, however that shakes out, I I certainly expect the Eagles defense to play rather well. Um, the, the Cowboys are a get-right team for, for every team, and, that, and that's that's just kind of what this season is for them. Well, yes, both both the Eagles and the Cowboys are, are get-right teams. I mean, teams have been getting right on the Eagles all year, and obviously teams are getting right on the Cowboys, which makes uh, Sunday night's matchup uh, uh, an irresistible force meets the immovable object, or maybe we should rephrase it to a a, a, a very resistible force meets a very movable object and <laughs> kind of see which one moves farther. But, you know, talking about this NFC East, the whole NFC East has been a, it's been a get-right division. It's been an absolute cluster, and... It could go down as the worst division in NFL history. The the closest one that I could find was in 2014 in the NFC South, where you had the Panthers winning the division at seven eight and one. Um, you had the uh, the Saints uh, in second place at six and ten. The Falcons at five and eleven, and the Buccaneers at two and fourteen. This looks way worse than that. Th- this could be way worse than that, which would be absolutely hysterical. And I think the Eagles could be on an upswing here as they start to get a little healthier. But what are your thoughts on the NFC East? As as it stands right now week eight. uh week eight yeah uh well it's it's week eight and the nfc yeah. east collectively has uh has fewer wins than the number of week that it is uh as they have seven <laughs> as a whole um but uh yeah i, I don't know how long that will last but i, I wanted to, to get that joke i in hope there. it lasts um, forever yeah me too and you know <laughs> i i um i've said before here with you and i'm i'm a huge football historian and so so i love you know the nfl and the history associated with it i, I finally um, actually recently got to finish uh, a book on Johnny Unitas. And so um, I, I love the NFC East and I, I do believe it's the most historic division in the NFL. And so it's a bummer. I mean, yeah, it, it is a bummer to it see is. it, you know, be this, this joke. And I, I do find it strange that, um, and, and maybe this is just uh, circumstances of living in my own world and, and maybe you, your agreement could be the same. Um, it, it still is just kind of a Dallas Philadelphia situation. Um, New York and Washington seem so irrelevant. I can't remember a time where, uh, regardless of whatever success, I mean, and I was thinking about this the other day, you know, Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins were drafted in the first round in the same like hour yeah, and, early. and, and, and got like a fraction of the Dak Wentz narrative, you know? Um, and so it, it is, you know, and that's, I, I, I think it's a bummer that Cowboys Eagles in Philadelphia on Sunday night football is this kind of joke of a game. Um, and so it, it's a huge bummer. I, I do think, um, I, I don't believe in Joe Judge long term. Um, I, I 
certainly hope for the sake of uh, what is good in the world that Ron Rivera does turn the Washington culture around. Um, it was great to see him get his last cancer treatment, as, as I'm sure you saw. Yeah. Um, I'm More than anything, um, from an NFC sort of grander perspective, I'm very interested to see what happens with the Eagles if they don't win the NFC East. Because I, I think you and I would both agree that the Cowboys were by far their, their biggest threat to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I don't know what, what the answer would be if, you know, and, and even if Washington or New York somehow managed to win it. But I mean, Dak Prescott goes down, the Cowboys are, are decimated. I, and I know that the Eagles certainly are decimated as well. But um, the fact that they have Carson Wentz, I think that I would be very interested. In, and I'm actually curious for your opinion. Who, who has the longest leash associated with the Eagles? Is it, is it Howie? Is it Doug? Or is it Carson? Because from an outsider's perspective, I would say it's Doug. But I, I could be wrong. Actually, I, I think Howie has the longest leash. Uh, I, I think Howie is the one who deserves most to get let go if the Eagles don't win the division and they decide to make some changes. And I absolutely think that they will make changes somewhere if they don't win this craptacular division. But uh, I think I think Howie Roseman is just too tight with Jeffrey Lurie. Uh, I think Howie is still living off that Super Bowl, uh, that all the moves he made in that Super Bowl season. I think Howie is the one who should go. If you're asking me who I think the order of which who should go, I think Howie Roseman is at the top because I don't trust him as a talent evaluator. I don't trust him uh, with the drafts, and I don't think he's done a pretty good job. You know, he he does sign a lot of veterans to to, to deals and and get hurt. I mean, the, getting rid of LJ Fort for for no apparent reason whatsoever is is a, is a black mark and they've missed on a ton of of draft picks here. So I think he's probably the safest and yet I think he deserves to go the most. Uh, I think Carson Wentz is safe. I think Carson Wentz is Carson Wentz is a a home run hitter. If I'm gonna make a baseball comparison, he's going to hit you a lot of home runs. And he's going to carry the team for for a long time. He's also going to strike out a lot and go into slumps. And he might look really bad for for a two or a three week stretch or maybe even a a four week stretch. You just hope that the other 12 weeks he's carrying you. And you you home run hitters go into slumps and that's what happens with Carson Wentz. There are times he looks legitimately awful. And then there are times he carries a bunch of practice squad guys to to a division title. So I think Carson Wentz has a ton of guaranteed money coming his way as well. I know they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. I don't know what that means for his future here, which is why the pick didn't make any sense to begin with. But I don't think Carson Wentz is going anywhere anytime soon. So I think you're looking at two guys. I think you're looking at Jim Schwartz, and I think you're looking at Doug Peterson. I think Doug Peterson deserves to stay. I don't think this team plays hard for him. I think if this team was was healthier, they'd be better. Uh, I, I think that Doug Peterson certainly does some things wrong. I don't understand his play calling sometimes, but you can't argue the fact that this team plays for him, that he his message still resonates in the locker room. And so... I think of all the people here, I think Jim Schwartz is probably the sacrificial lamb, even if it's not all the defense's fault. If things go south here in 2020, and this team doesn't, if things go south, like they haven't been going south already, but if they go souther and this team doesn't win the division and things really fall apart, I think Jim Schwartz is probably the sacrificial lamb. I think I, I think the combination of Howie, Doug, and Carson are just too safe right now for them to go. But I will say this, I don't think Doug's, I don't think Doug is on standing on granite because they've made a lot of changes to the coaching staff and they've made a lot of personnel decisions that I don't think they've consulted or at least Doug Peterson hasn't had the final say on. Usually if you've won a Super Bowl and you have done as much as Doug Peterson has does you has done, you have more say 
over your coaching staff and over your personnel than Doug does. So that does tell me that maybe he's not on really solid ground with this organization, but I don't think he goes anywhere if this team falters. I think it's I think it's Jim Schwartz, then Doug Peterson, then Howie Roseman, then Carson Wentz. Maybe, maybe you flip around Carson Wentz and Howie Roseman because maybe you get a trade of Carson Wentz and you get something really good. But uh, I, I'm not seeing any of those last three guys going anywhere. Jim Schwartz, I think, is the guy who falls on the sword if things really go south here in 2020. Interesting. Well, I think uh, I speak for a majority of Cowboys fans in saying um, that, that no Cowboys fan wants to win the NFC East. I mean, that's that's an unfortunate you know admission. But it, yeah. it is, you know, at, at this point with, with your quarterback on, as I'm sure you, you know you understand, um, and I think every Cowboys fan wants to see the Eagles from the NFC East to, to kind of maintain the status quo there. Um, I, and more than anything, I really, really, really want to see the Eagles win the NFC East and host the Bears in the wild card yes, round. Yes, we, we all want that because it would certainly it certainly would be one of the most interesting games. Well, you know, actually, we want that and we don't want that because obviously the conversation in, on, on Sports Talk Radio would be insufferable for, for a full week. We wouldn't be able to get away from it. It would be Wentz versus Foles and it would drive us all absolutely crazy. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, it would certainly drive the clicks. It would certainly drive the downloads. It would certainly be good for... For traffic and good for business. So uh, while I think it would drain, uh, be a drain on us emotionally and mentally, and we'd all be ready to kill kill each other by the end of the week, uh, I think it'd be good for business. So I wouldn't be opposed to Foles versus Wentz. It would certainly be a fantastic storyline. Totally, and, and see, like I want, I want the Bears to win that game, like like <laughs> ten to three. Yes. Where, where Foles like <laughs> completes like seven passes. I mean, yeah. like it, it just I, that's that's uh, that's all I have at this point. But. All right, man. Well, enough beating around the bush. Do you have a prediction that you want to share for Sunday night? Um, you know, uh, I, I, I certainly I think the Eagles win. Um, I've, you know, against better judgment, been picking the Cowboys. The only time I haven't picked the Cowboys this season was when they went to Seattle. And obviously mm-hmm. uh, what was correct there. Um, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the, the show I do on the SB Nation NFL show feed. Michael Kist has picked the Cowboys more often than not as well. Uh, but we got our picks in for the week and, and all three of us, uh, Pete Sweeney included, are on the Eagles train. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't, you know, the Cowboys, they're a larger man maker than, than Eagles fans might think the Eagles are. And mm-hmm. so I don't see how, um, I don't see how they suck less than, than the Eagles, to be frank. <laughs> and so um, I, I think that, I think that every issue an Eagles fan has, like I, I would challenge an Eagles fan to kind of list three issues, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they, they will look soft on, on Sunday night. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and, and I, I think it's, I think it's a really rough week for the Cowboys. I think Jerry Jones is ornery again in his radio hits. Oh, and I, I think yeah. we, I think we do this song and dance, uh, you know, about eight, nine more times. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and we have fun doing it because at the end of the day, you know, it, it's all fun. It's all relative. Um, and, yeah. and I certainly, if the Cowboys win against the Eagles, uh, we'll definitely troll, uh, BGN on Twitter and act like it's the greatest one of all time because it obviously will be. I would expect nothing less and uh, and vice versa, my friend. So, hey, folks, make sure you're reading all about what's going on with the Cowboys. Listen, I know I know it's a Cowboys site, but uh, listen, you want to keep your eye on the enemy, right? So you got to check out what's going on over there at Blogging the Boys and check out what RJ Ochoa and his great staff are doing over there. Make sure to check out all their podcasts. And again, don't forget to listen to the SB Nation NFL show where you can hear RJ along with Michael Kist and BLG and a bunch of other great NFL experts uh, from our SB Nation uh, team sites talking about the NFL and uh, giving you the scoop day in and day out here during the football season. Uh, And uh, make sure to check out everything that's going on over there at Blogging the Boys. RJ, thanks so much for coming back on Eye on the Enemy. I appreciate it. 
Hey, thanks a lot, John. Uh, kudos on all the work you're doing uh, in all things Philly. I saw you had some success with your Phillies podcast as well. So, uh, um, you know, at least you've got that going too, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, there, there's a, you got, you know, you got things uh, keeping you afloat there. Yes, I, I have two disappointing teams that I get to follow and wrap my arms around. But thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. All right, well, you heard R.J. Ochoa there with his prediction, uh, not predicting a Cowboys victory here in Philadelphia on Sunday. And I, I think, you know, we mentioned it, we mentioned it a little bit. Dontari Poe and Daryl Worley uh, both were cut by the team. Uh, the Cowboys tried to trade them and get something back in return for them, but couldn't find a taker. So uh, you look at this Cowboys free agent class, they made a lot of moves late in the offseason that were widely celebrated. And now all of them are gone. Dontari Poe is gone. Daryl Worley is gone. Gerald McCoy went down with an injury. Haha Clinton Dix was cut before the season. They've traded Griffin. Uh, it, it just you talk about getting absolutely nothing from your free agent class. Howie Roseman is not a good general manager, in my opinion. He's made a lot of mistakes over these last few years. Nothing comes close to what happened with the Cowboys in free agency this offseason. Turned into a horrific mess for them. And as we look forward to this game on Sunday night, uh, I did say at the beginning of the podcast that it does feel like these teams are moving in opposite directions. And I, I don't say that because, you know, the Eagles have a long winning streak at their backs right now. They've won one game in a row. Win one more, that's called two in a row. Win another one after that, that's called a winning streak. It has happened before, and the Eagles are hoping that it happens to them again here during the course of the 2020 season. And I think things might be trending in the Eagles' direction. You, you could There is a, a scenario here, a very clear scenario, where this Philadelphia Eagles team could go on a roll because they are starting to get healthier. They are starting to get some guys back. I think the more Travis Fulgham plays, the more he's going to feel comfortable in this offense. He's, al he's already doing great things. I think he can only get better as the season goes along. Greg Ward is, has been very reliable as a Jason Avant-like slot guy, making big third-down catches. John Hightower, after a couple really bad drops, has also hauled in a couple of long passes. He's at least being useful out there. Now this team is getting healthier. Jalen Rager, Dallas Goddard, both practicing. Uh, you, you've got uh, Jason Peters practicing. Uh, you've got uh, some other guys who look like they're going to be ready to, to uh, return from, uh, from the injured list at some point. The, the Eagles are hoping that they'll have Miles Sanders back after next week's bye. Uh, Avante Maddox should be back uh, before too terribly long to help out uh, in the secondary. So you, you've, got some, you, you've got some guys who are, 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 it looks like, ready to come back here pretty soon. Alshon Jeffrey, not so much. Uh, we, the, 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 injury, the, the foot injury he was dealing with before is now healed. Now he's got a calf injury. This guy just doesn't want to play. Just forget about him. Forget about him. I cut him. Cut him at this point. I, I don't want him. I, I don't care if we got to play Quez Watkins. Cut him. Just be done because you're not going to trade him. Uh, before the trade deadline on Tuesday, just just get just get rid of him. Just just get. I mean, we can we can remember and reminisce what he did for us in the Super Bowl a few years ago. But it's time to move on, and it just it seems pretty clear that the guy doesn't want to play uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles anymore. So they are. This is a team that's getting healthier. This is a team that's starting to get some weapons back. This is a team that still now has the ver the easily the best quarterback in this division. And you heard me talk about it with RJ. I really think that's what Carson Wentz is. He is a he's a big league slugger. He's going to hit he's going to have some really really hot streaks where he carries you. He's like Ryan Howard in a lot of ways. 
back in Ryan Howard's prime, where Ryan Howard would get into some serious slumps, and there were some times where it just didn't look like he could do anything right, and then he would carry the team for months at a, you know, for months at a time. And Carson Wentz appears to have gotten over his early season struggles and is playing really good football at this point. I will say that it's important to remember as the Cowboys come into Philadelphia here on Sunday night, a battered and bruised team, a team that appears to have no direction, a team that appears to have no leadership, dare I say a team that appears to have no soul, that when the Eagles went into Dallas last year, and the Cowboys were coming off a humiliating loss to the New York Jets. They had lost three games in a row. It looked for all the world like the Cowboys were ripe for the picking. And then the 3-3 three and three Cowboys hosted the Eagles on Sunday Night Football. Again, this is different. It was in Dallas, and they ripped the Eagles to shreds that night, winning 37-10 to improve to 4-3. and three. Now, fortunately for the Eagles, the Cowboys never really got on a Good roll after that, and the Eagles were able to track them down at the end of the season and win the second game of the season in Philadelphia in the second to last week of the season. And this weekend, the Eagles do not, I mean, the Cowboys do not have Dak Prescott at quarterback. That's a big deal because Dak Prescott does, we're seeing how valuable Dak Prescott is. You're not going to ever hear me badmouth Dak Prescott. Because he is a really good quarterback. We're seeing how valuable he, he is to this uh, Cowboys franchise. The, it certainly sounds like there we know Andy Dalton. And so you, you're, you're looking at a Cowboys third-string quarterback no matter who it is. So the Eagles certainly, it seems like they have everything going for them this Sunday night. Playing at home against a banged-up Cowboys team with injuries littered across the offensive line. Uh, a defense that has absolutely no leaders. A, a, a coaching staff that is ridiculed. Everything is going wrong for the Dallas Cowboys, and you're seeing the Eagles possibly trending in the, in the right direction. I really do think this is an Eagles team that could be ready to go on a roll here. They have a couple more games against divisional opponents. They get the Cowboys on Sunday night, then they get the Giants again uh, in, in New York, but still a Giants team that is not very good. The, the schedule will get harder in the middle of the season, but as the Eagles get healthier, they'll be more prepared to take on some tougher opponents here. And if Carson Wentz is playing well, this Eagles team can beat anybody on any given Sunday. Now, this is not to say I think the Eagles are about to go on a six or a seven game winning streak, but this is a team that could go on winning four out of five, winning five out of six coming up here over these next uh, over the next uh, week and a uh, month and a half or so. It does feel like these teams are moving in opposite directions. The Eagles should win this division. They are clearly the, more, the most talented team in this division at this point. And the Cowboys' defense, it's hard to see. Even, even with a makeshift Eagles offensive line, no matter what it looks like, whether it's Jason Peters at left tackle and Jordan Mailata at right tackle, or Jordan Mailata at left tackle and, and Lane Johnson at right tackle, or Jack Driscoll at right tackle and, and Mailata at left tackle, or Peters at left tackle, whatever, whatever the offensive line looks like. This is an Eagles team that should put points on the board against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night. And I don't think that the Cowboys offense, I don't think that their quarterback is going to be able to score on this Eagles defense as, you know, as, as many problems as the Eagles defense has. They play well at home. Jim Schwartz's defenses traditionally have always played well at home. So, yes, I do think the Philadelphia Eagles will win on Sunday night. I will just caution everyone to not to think that this is going to be a game the Eagles win in a walk because we saw—I think, I think what's going to happen on Sunday night is one of two things. I think the Cowboys shock the Eagles and win, 
like they did last year, or the Eagles blow them out. I don't think this is a close Eagles win. I think if the Eagles win, they blow this team out. And I think it is something along the lines of 31-13. to 13. Or Dallas comes into town and shocks the Eagles like they did last year, last Sunday night. I mean, pardon me, last year on Sunday night in Dallas with Dak Prescott and beat them 37 to 10. Again, I don't, if the, if, if the Cowboys win, it's not going to be by 27 points. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be a game where the Eagles have committed a lot of turnovers. It's going to be a game where Ezekiel Elliott has run for 180 yards. And it's going to be a game where Carson Wentz has turned the ball over a couple of times. I just don't see that happening this Sunday night. I think the Eagles win this game. I think they win it pretty handily. I think they win this game 31-13 to against the Dallas Cowboys and hopefully start the ball rolling on a winning streak that will help this team win the division. Again, I don't think the Eagles should be buyers at the trade deadline except to get some younger players who you can build around for the next year or two. If you go out and get a linebacker, that's fine. You want to give up a fourth round or a fifth round pick for some linebacking help? I'm cool with that. But I think until this, I think we need to know that this team is going to get on a roll before, and, and, and obviously that's not going to happen before Tuesday. You see a big Eagles win that could push Howie Roseman's chips into the center of the table a little bit. Even if the Eagles do beat up a, an injury-riddled Dallas team with a third-string quarterback, I still don't think that's cause for this team to start selling second- and third-round pieces. Uh, but you want to give up a fourth-rounder or a fifth-rounder for somebody who can help you this year and maybe into the future? I'm all for that. And I think the Eagles will win easily on Sunday night, 31-13. to All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to RJ Ochoa for coming on the podcast. And don't forget to check out BleedingGreenNation.com every single day for all the latest news and notes on your football team as we get ready for the Dallas Cowboys here on Dallas Week. And check out all our other Bleeding Green Nation podcasts, the the Kiston Solak Show, BGN Radio, Babes on Broad, uh, From the Bleachers, everything we've got for you here at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed as we celebrate Dallas Week here with your Philadelphia Eagles. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. Yeah.